Good morning, everyone. So today's Bible reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. Now I'll remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you, for I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received: that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures; that He was buried; that He was raised on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures; and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, church. Well, it's pretty good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know. Like I said, we're not taking a vote, but it seemed like you guys gave it a resounding, you know. So we'll keep having a go. We'll see how you, we'll see how it turns out. And if that's something we want to do, then we'll do it. Yeah, Angie, you can fix the hum. That's fine. Jacob, you the man. Thanks, buddy. Probably need one of these books if I'm going to be preaching. <laughs> Many churches don't these days, but that's another sermon for another day. Anyway, so one of the things that uh, we've sort of been talking about is this idea of church, right? And, um, you know, the, the series is called Five Traits of a Biblical Church. Um, and we discovered last week that there is a difference. There is a difference between, say, Christian fellowship and, you know, Christians connecting over a coffee or a sausage sizzle or going to the beach together. There is a difference between that and the church assembled together on the Lord's Day. So there's a difference between, if you want to rhyme, Christians connecting at a cafe and Christians connecting assembled together on the Lord's Day. I hate rhyming. I'm not going to do that again. But you get the idea. There, there is a difference. In other words... Hooking up with other believers during the week is great. Christian fellowship is, and I'd encourage you to do so. We have growth groups. We, I know many of you connect over at Three Trees during the week. And, and again, I don't want to discourage that. I think that's actually a good thing. But as we saw last week, the New Testament wouldn't exactly call that church. They see church as a distinct event that occurs on a particular day where the whole congregation assembles together. And what do they do when they assemble together? Read the Bible, right? Pray the Bible, preach the Bible, sing the Bible, see the Bible. So there's a difference between a couple of Christians having a sausage sizzle or whatever it might be, which is, which again, I want to encourage you to do that. But let's be clear here. Christians connecting over a cuppa is not the church, at least not according to what the Bible says. Even the word ecclesia alone, gathering, gathering, assembly, it's a, it's a big gathering of people. I, hopefully that video was a bit helpful. I found that video really encouraging. Now, for some of you, that might seem like we're, narrow, we're sort of narrowing this idea of church, and yes, absolutely, according to 
what the scriptures say. Now, let me, let me narrow it even more. <laughs> let me narrow this thing even more. And we have to do that. We actually have to do that even more because just a couple hundred meters up the road, there's a lovely group of people. And this, this group right up here, if you go up Henry Perry Drive, they're just up on the left. Lovely, lovely bunch, nice. Might be nicer than us. I know what says on the sign that the very first thing that we're about is we're a friendly church and contemporary. But hey, they're a lovely bunch. Right up the road. And look, did you know that they gather every single week? They're pretty consistent every single week. And people give tithes and offerings there. People sing songs there. There's bits of scripture being read there. They're being instructed every week. You guys are being instructed right now. I hope you are. hope you're listening. And you know what's interesting? This little group up the road here that meets every week on, they gather all together, right? They're, they're, they're gathering. They even have a little sign out front and they call themselves a church. Uh, they're, they're, uh, they're, they are the church, actually, of Jesus Christ. That kind of sounds like us. We're the church of Christ. And they're the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So are they a church? I mean, they're gathering every week, are they? There's no doubt. That's a, it's a, there's a sense of belonging there. Right? They, they laugh together. They cry together. They pray together. They've got morning tea afterwards. So, I mean, are they, are they seem like a church to me. They even got the name. So are they a church? What do you think? Well, Here's what's interesting. I'm glad some of you didn't shout out your answers. But here's what's interesting. I say all of that because it's interesting when we start to define, you see there, you see how I, I get this as example because the names are all still there. And it, and it might smell similar to even our place, but it's vastly different those people up the road. <laughs> and why? Why is it that? Why is that the case? It's because of what we and they, different, speak about, articulate who God is, what salvation is, what heaven is, what hell is. It matters what you believe and confess to be true. That's what distinguishes you. That's what distinguishes us between a cult, by the way. What we profess to be true. I mean, you, you have non-Christian friends and family, correct? They probably think you're a part of a cult. Especially with the name Church of Christ. It sounds very, very similar to the blokes up the road here. So then, are we a cult? Is this just like, and I'm the charismatic American leading you guys? You imported me over, woo! I'm gonna make Wyoming Church of Christ great again or whatever, you know? 
You know, is, is, that, is that what's going on here? No. So, again, hopefully you're already starting to see it matters actually what we believe, and it actually helps us distinguish. Now, let me ask you this. Let, let, me, let me push you here a little bit. Some of you are think, well, yeah, you may not know all the doctrines of the Latter-day Saints, but you might think, well, oh, I'm pretty sure they're, 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 they're wrong. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Okay, okay, fair enough. I, I don't, I'm not going to quiz you on Joseph Smith's golden plates and the celestial kingdom <laughs> and all that stuff that they believe. But, but okay, if you're saying that's the case, because like typical most sort of modern contemporary, again, we've got that on front of our sign, we're contemporary, whatever that means, but we've got it out in the front. We're contemporary evangelicals. Okay, so most of you would say, given the fact that you are a group of contemporary evangelicals, you would say, whatever that even means, by the way, but you would say, um, Mormons are wrong. Yes? Dan's the only one shaking his head. I'm glad you are, brother. <laughs> if Dan was going, <laughs> we're going to have quick words afterwards. So, but, but modern evangelicals would probably say, oh, well, uh, I, I don't really know what they believe, but they're wrong. Okay? Now, let me say this. All right. Why are they wrong and we're right? <laughs> well, why are they wrong and we're right? And, and what, what do we have to hold up against that? The word of God? They have the word of God. They have a King James Version. They add to it. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So hopefully what you're starting to see, I give that example. And again, once we can kick up Sunday schools, I want to cover cults like Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons and all of these things, all these false religions out there. But hopefully you're, you're, you're beginning, so you'll be able to understand it and weigh it yourself. But, but hopefully you're going to see that actually what we believe is it's really life or death. It really distinguishes us between truth and error. And so that said, a true church, a biblical church, is one point today with two parts. So that's a bit disingenuous to say that. But one point with two parts. A true church is, a biblical church, is a confessional church. <gasps> Ooh, I don't like that. It's confessional in part A, a personal confession, and part B, a corporate or communal confession. So that's where we're headed. A biblical church is a confessional church in person, meaning the, the person who confesses, the individual, as well as the corporate body that confesses. And I'll explain. Now, some of you are kind of like, confess, I, what, what on earth is this? Like, I, 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 huh? I don't, like, these words sound strange to my ears. I was kind of worried about you, Rob, and now I'm getting even more a little worried about you. Okay. We'll, we'll unpack this. this is, it's important that we think about what, what a confession exactly is. What, what, we're going to define these terms versus I just sort of say that and and you have to kind of interpret it in your head what you think I'm saying. And we'll, 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 we'll walk through this slowly together. So I'm excited for it. And look, today is going to be like vegetables, okay? 
Asher, buddy, you need vegetables. They're good for you, right? Even though you don't like them sometimes. Mommy gives you vegetables because you need to grow, right, buddy? Yes? Yeah. So, I don't know if daddy eats many vegetables, but, <laughs> but like, vegetables are good for you, correct? Yes. Today's, today, friends, it's not going to be like a sizzling steak where like I'm going to be pacing a lot and using my, well, I probably will, but using my hands and like it's going to be like, wow, this is so dynamic and cool. Like today's going to be a lot of vegetables, but it's good for us. We need to think through these things. Okay? So that said, why don't we look to the Lord in prayer and then we'll unpack this idea of a confessing church or a confessional church. All right? Heavenly Father, we thank you again for uh, this gathering. Lord, you, we, you are sovereign over all things, space and time. We, we pray, Lord, that you would allow us to concentrate this morning uh, with so many distractions, so many issues, so many hurts, so many things that can just pull our mind away. We, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a good work in us as your word is preached. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So when I say a, a speaking church, okay, so that's our second one. We're a speaking church or a biblical church is a confessional church. What on earth do I mean? Does, does that mean, does that imply out here in the hall, unbeknownst to you, we're actually setting up a confessional booth, the elders and I, and Dan's gonna have a little, you know, and you're gonna come in, you're gonna confess your deepest, darkest sins to Dan, and he's gonna say, pardon you, my son. No, that's, that's Roman Catholicism, okay? That's not what we're gonna do here. Don't worry. But when I say confess, a confessional, I have in mind two expressions of this. The first is personal. The second is communal. The first one being personal. Okay, what do I mean by that? All right, well, where am I getting this stuff anyways? Romans 10, 9, here we go. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. Saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one what? Confesses and is saved. So you see, becoming a Christian requires someone to make a personal confession in the lordship of Jesus and to have faith in his resurrection from the dead. By the way, did you notice the verbal aspect of this? Confessing with one's mouth? So this confession, though, it's, that, it's not as far as it goes. Okay, cool, I sort of gave a nod to God or you know, raised my hand once at a church. There's actually an expectation that that verbal confession is actually visible as well. For instance, Peter, book of Acts, day of Pentecost, he's preaching. And what does Luke catalog? How do people respond in Acts 2? It, people say this, we were cut to the heart. What must we do to be saved? And Peter says, you come on up here right now and you sign on the dotted line. No, no, no. He says, what? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Interesting. There's, you see the visibleness there? Baptism is a public confession is it not? You're, conf you're confessing, you're, you're publicly acknowledging. It's an outward, visible confession of an inward spiritual rebirth. Uh, that's why for over 400 years, 
of church history, they had these things all over the place. What are those? Early church baptismals, right? Where you actually go and be baptized. You believe and be baptized. For centuries, water baptism was closely linked with a public confession of the Christian faith. Here's how one guy in this early, early era, now when I say early church, I don't mean Book of Acts, I mean, you know, 400 years after, right? So here's how one dude, a dude named Tertullian, if you don't know, if you have, have a kid anytime soon, or if your uh, kid says, you know, you're gonna have a grandkid soon, you say, what should I name my kid, Tertullian? And, and I will buy you a coffee for that. That is boss, all right? So Tertullian said this though. He said, when entering the water, we make a pro- profession of the Christian faith in the words of its rule. And I wanna go back to that. You see, hear, hear that, of its rule? Oh, whose rule? Oh, it's about me. No, there's an overarching narrative of what the Christian faith is, you see. It's not subjective to the individual. Well, I feel like I'm saved. Why are you saved? Because I am. No, that's, that's 21st century nonsense. That's autonomous run amok. No, no, no. Of its rule. And then look, when we then bear, notice, public testimony that we have renounced the devil, his pomp, and his angels. Do you see the words there? public testimony? It's very interesting, isn't it? This, that implies a personal confession of faith in Jesus. But that's not all. Think about this for a second. And I've been thinking about this. The fact that it's a public confession, right? It's public testimony, if you want to use that word, demonstrates, proves, argues the point, I reckon, at least a little bit, that Christianity is designed to be, to some aspect, communal. I mean, just think about it this way. Think about it this way. You can't baptize yourself. Right? I mean, you, you could. You could baptize yourself. But typically, when someone baptizes you, what are they doing? They're affirming, validating the fact that you are, in fact, born again. In fact, they used to have classes in the early church during Tertullian's day where they would walk you through what baptism is and what it's not and are you even a Christian? You'll be able to sort that out. The mere fact that you can't baptize yourself proves that Christianity, at least to some extent, has to be communal. You don't just, you know, fall like you could. But the the, the point is, it's, it's communal. Someone's actually acknowledging. People have come to me before. Do you know that I've, I, not at this church, not yet, but it'll probably happen. But people come to me and say, I want to be baptized. Why do you want to be baptized? And I hear them and I go, I'm not so sure you're a Christian. And I, but I, can we have a coffee? Can we, and I don't baptize that person. Other people have come to me and they've said, I want to be baptized. And I hear it and I go, mm, I don't think you're a Christian. I don't think you know the gospel. And I walk them through it and they've been saved and then I baptize them. Other people get their nose out of joint and they leave, they, leave, they leave the church and that'll probably happen here as well. I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not here to please men, by the way. I, f- I fear no man. fear no one in this building. fear God alone, period. And, and so like I, I say all of that because do you see how this is, this is absolutely essential? Do you, do you see how, how dangerous would it be if for the sake of community, the person comes up to me and says, I want to be baptized. And I hear it. And I'm like, I don't think they know the gospel, but I mean, they're lovely. So here, oh gosh. <laughs> Wait, this is it, right, Ross? Right here. Yeah, I baptize you. And then it, but, but a whole the while I'm thinking, I don't think this person's a Christian. 
And then they go stand before God one day. Well, they can say, oh, well, Rob baptized me. No way. I'm not doing that. I want to love, the best way I can love that person is try to help them understand what it means to follow Jesus. Not give them some false sense of assurance that somehow because I baptized them, they're going to go to heaven now and they're cool, they're cool with God. So again, truth is what matters. Truth over relationship, by the way. Truth over community. Now, our second point's this. When, when we talk about the church, when we talk about being confessional, on the one hand, it's personal, but on the other hand, it's communal. In other words, it has a shared belief or a common confession of the Christian faith, also known as a statement of faith or a confession of faith or a rule of faith. That, that's what Tertullian said. There's a rule of faith. Here's a, here's a basic rule of faith that you may not even realize this. Just after the time of the apostles, many people were saying this. All right, it's cool if you have your sort of schismatic sect of Judaism. That's kind of how they viewed it, right? Because you guys are Jewish and you're sort of the schismatic sort of set sect of Judaism called Christians. That's what they, they called Christians, by the way. Followers of Jesus Christ and Messiah and but, but that's cool, as long as you just say Caesar is Lord, all good, happy days. And then, no, 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 we, and Christians would say, and this is where you see them being drugged into the Colosseum and being martyred and say, we, we can't say Caesar is Lord because only Jesus is Lord. And so a very clear confession of faith in the very beginning is Jesus is Lord. That, that's, that's a confession, right? That's a true statement. That's a speak, that is words that are spoken out. So there's a statement of faith. It's simply a shared belief that's true, that the whole church can sign off on. So a speaking church is confessional, both personally and publicly. Now, in some Christian circles, people hear statement of faith, confession, and they squirm a bit. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't, mm, 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 mm. we don't need that. We've got the Bible. We don't need that stuff. You know, it's interesting though. Okay, let's play that game. Let's play that game. When you look at several of Paul's writings and say the book of Colossians, 1 Timothy, Philippians 2, it's quite interesting that many of these statements that he has that he inserts in smell an awful lot like a confession for example first timothy look what he says here after using a metaphor that the church is a pillar and a buttress of truth he concludes with what seems to be a confession of that truth you see it great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness I mean, just look at the way this thing is written. Look how formulaic it is. It doesn't flow with the rest of the letter. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? Like, it's like, here's the letter, and all of a sudden, it's just like, even the way the thing, if you look at it in your Bible, even the way that it's margined out. And he says, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Smells an awful lot like a confession to me. <laughs> even, just the, even just the way the thing is written, right? 
in just six short lines, it covers key doctrines about the identity of Christ. I mean, we've got everything there, if you look at it, everything from his incarnation to his preexistence, to his resurrection, to his gospel spread among the nations, to his ascension into heaven. That thing's jam-packed with solid Christology. And it's very easy to memorize, and it sticks out even if you look at it in the way it's written in your own Bible. Okay. Well, that's just one. All right. How about Colossians? Do you guys remember? It hasn't been that long. He is the image of the invisible God. I mean, if you, same sort of thing. Christ is sovereign over creation and over the new creation. I mean, some believe that in Colossians, those five verses, Paul is either quoting a well-known hymn or a poem or maybe even a creed of his day. So I say all of that, and then you can look in, if you have a growth group, you can look at yourself in Philippians chapter 2, same sort of thing who, being in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God, thing to be grasped, etc., etc. I say all of that because you don't need to squirm when we think about these nice, compact, Christological statements. It's all right. Now, I think a local church that said, as a corporate assembly, needs to share a common confession of the Christian faith. Remember what I said in the very intro? We need to be able to distinguish ourselves. So Judy Carter said, sorry, Judy. <laughs> Judy said, um, what distinguishes us? And she said, but, yeah, but that other group, the Mormons, they add to the Bible. I agree. I actually agree with that. They have a whole thing called the Book of Mormon, right? Where we don't. As Protestants, we believe in what's called sola scriptura. Scripture alone is the final authority. I'm not being cheeky with you at all. But... Where do we have that in our statement of faith as a church? Where's that written on the sign? How does that even, like, I, I hear what you're saying, and I know you say that, and I agree with you, but does, do we all, are we all cool with what Judy said? Okay, let's put it in the writing then. <laughs> but you see what I mean? Maybe, how do we know? I, I heard a couple of yeps. But, but again, it doesn't actually distinguish us. We actually don't have it, like, as a T-shirt. Does that make sense? We don't have it as a part of our statement of faith. We don't have words like, infallibility and sufficiency for scripture. That's really what you're saying. The sufficiency of scripture says God's word, nothing else. You don't need to add to God's word. So, but we don't have, I mean, if you go on our, you can go on our website right now. We don't, we don't, we haven't teased that out. So I, I know what you're saying, but, but I, it's disingenuous to say, because we all believe that, right? Yeah, nice. That's nice for you guys for, to say all the nod your heads, but we actually don't have that as a banner over us as Wyoming Church of Christ. That's okay, we can, and that's why I wanna think through these things, you see. That, and that's why, that's why having a shared faith is, we can all tick the box. They say, that's why this is so important. Because you can say, yeah, well, um, well my pastor, uh, you, uh, we believe, because this is what people do. Bernadette, I'm oh, sorry, I, can't, I always embarrass people. But she even said, you know, didn't one of your hairdressers ask you, well, what do you guys believe, or something like that? Yeah, and then you asked me, right? And I could say, well, I said, well, we have, we have a statement of faith, thanks to Peter Shaw, who sort of put that in. And so, you know, we have, a, we have a statement of faith, but it's really, it hasn't covered a variety of things in there, right? So it's like, what do we believe about sexuality and things? Well, we believe, like, do, do, are we okay with, to say that, like, you know, various things in society, to transgenderism and all this stuff, do, do, we, do we think that stuff's okay? Do we disagree? I mean, but we don't have anything, you see. 
We don't, and, and again, I'm not, don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying we stand out there with signs like all the crazy fundamentalist church. But it's important, particularly, and if you think I'm, I'm crazy, like, well, that's just kind of weird and fundamentalist. Dude, watch the news. Watch the way the sexual revolution is going a million kilometers an hour. We need to have, cl- we need to have clarity around these things. Who we are as a church, what we believe about these things. You see, we don't at the moment. So I know you say, well, yeah, but our pastor believes that. Yeah, but who am I? Am I bona fide Wyoming Church of Christ? You guys could be better looking than that, you know? I, I'm, a, I'm serving as a minister here, but I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm not the whole, I'm not, we're not a, we don't have, believe in actually a priesthood here. It's a priesthood of all believers, right? I'm not, I'm not the priest here. I mean, if you want, I'll come up and I'll chuck a wafer. You're close enough to me, I'll get you, you know? <laughs> but we don't believe that. So, it's important, though, that we do have a shared faith. I, I, I understand. Again, don't, don't, don't hear this as, I'm disappointed, you, doggy dog church. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just, I'm just trying to help us see the importance of these things. Does that make sense? So, now, here's what I, um, thanks to Jillian, she printed this this morning. I thought it might be helpful to kind of walk us through. Here comes some vegetables. Is everyone okay? You guys need to stretch? Is everyone still awake? Yes? Yes, jumping jacks. I thought it might be helpful to um, talk about what's. If, um, Jillian, did you pass these? You said you passed these out, right? So you sh- everyone should have these. You can fan yourselves. They can, this can be like an African American Southern Baptist church, and we can all be like, woo you know, fanning ourselves if you want to use them. But um, everyone should have a little piece of paper that talks about four C's. Four C's. Um, and I want to walk through this with you guys. I'll actually just kind of, we'll, we'll go through it here. The four C's are this. Um, Jillian, do we have extra ones? Yes, no? Everyone got one? Got them in the bulletins. Thank you. It was an email, that's true. Yeah, that's true. So I'll walk through these. Yeah, if you need to go grab some, you can. Here, here's, here's where I want to talk Here's the four C's, councils, creeds, confessions, and catechisms. Councils, creeds, Ross, I thought of you this week with creed. I was like, well, I just heard, anyway, sorry. <laughs> just ignore Ross and I, me, really. So the four C's, let's talk about them. What are councils? Like, what, 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 what do I mean by that? Again, if, you're fo- if you don't have a piece of paper to follow along, it, it <laughs> yeah, I don't know how, how we're going to follow along, so I'm just going to go ahead and read it. So, um, the major worldwide, uh, what's the terms, ecumenical, that means gathering a big bunch of group of Christians across uh, the span of the world, I guess, if you want to say that. Ecumenical councils of the early church had gatherings of diverse church leaders from all regions that consulted to preserve the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Like for, in other words, do you remember in Jude, he says that you contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Well, do you know that that became extremely relevant right after Jude was off the scene? Like immediately people were going, yeah, maybe Jesus didn't have a physical body. Maybe the body's bad. Hence Gnosticism. 
And people are going, oh, wait, hold on, Jesus did have a physical body. No, we think he didn't. And then how about this one? Dude named Arius. Maybe there was a time when Jesus, you know, he hasn't always been eternally with God. There probably once was a time when the Son, Jesus Christ, was not, but he was created by God. Still the Son of God in that sense, but he's actually created. And they said, ooh, time out. <laughs> we need to have a serious come to Jesus meeting in a big council. So these councils come together and they start thinking about these things. They, they have, they're addressing theological questions and heresies and issues of their era. The deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, all these things. For example, right there in your notes, you have the first council of Nicaea, the council of Constantinople, the council of Chalcedon, and, and councils published things called creeds. So for instance, did you hear what I was talking about? This, you know, oh, that once was the time when the sun was not, and that's really dangerous stuff. That stuff sends you to hell, by the way. <laughs> I'm just like, if you're not awake. That's like heretical teaching. So the councils get together. One council in particular gets together in a place called Nicaea. And then they develop what's called the Nicene Creed. Just hear, the hear the same thing? Um, so what, what's a creed? It's core convictions about what we believe as Christians. Creeds are brief summaries of the church's basic beliefs handed down in a memorable and memorizable format. They could be songs, recitals. Uh, the Apostles' Creed, which we just sang earlier, Ross did and, and Dan, I believe in God our Father, I believe... Oh, sorry. <laughs> we sang Come Praise and Glorify, which has the Trinity in it. But we're going to sing that at the very end. That's the Apostles' Creed. Actually, and you know what's interesting about it? It has just over 100 words. Right? A lot less than the books I hand you guys. Just less than 100 words. The Nicene Creed has just over 200 words. Why? Because they know you guys don't like to read. No. No, because they know that it's easy to recite. It's easy to memorize. It's easy. You can put it to song. It's, it's memorable. So if creeds, here in your notes, if creeds are a basic sketch framing the boundaries of orthodoxy and heresy, then confessions fill in, color in the picture, drawing out many implications of life in Christ. In other words, if creeds are bare bones of the Christian faith, then confessions are the muscles that fill out our theological body. So let's get to confessions. These would be denominational distinctives. You ever wonder, oh man, why do they have so many denominations, Anglicans and Prezies, and aren't we all just one big church? Yes, but there are certain theological distinctives that people have. So confessions systematically unpack numerous doctrines which creeds merely uh, or, or basically declare. Not only do confessions have more details, they have more distinctives. This is because creeds are about essential truths for all Christians, but confessions also get into secondary truths that define and distinguish denominations. Forms of church government, mode of baptism. Do you baptize infants? Do you not? That's what I mean by that. Administration of the sacraments or the Lord's Supper. So, give you an example here. 
sample confessions. You have the Augsburg Confession, which is typically Lutheran. You have the 39 Articles, those are the Anglicans. You have the Westminster Confession, those are typically the Prezies. And you have the Second London, which is the best thing known to man. No, no, but is the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. So you have these the, the distinctives. For in other words, the Westminster Confession of Faith is awesome. It's great. I can, if you haven't read it, go home and sell everything you have, go buy a copy and go read it. Now you can, you can read it online. But the Baptists looked at the Westminster Confession of Faith, true Baptists, I reckon, looked at the ba Westminster Confession of Faith and said, oh, yeah, that's really good except for the part about baptizing infants, which I agree, I'm a Baptist, right? And so they looked at that and they say, oh, let's just modify it a bit, which now you have the London Baptist Confession of Faith. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay, so councils, creeds, confessions, and then catechisms. Catechisms. This is teaching tools. If creeds are the church's bones and confessions are denominational muscles, then catechisms might be the hands and feet, the practical on the ground application. Catechisms both ask and answer questions. That's what a catechism is. What is the chief end of man? Enjoy him forever. Yes, so that's a catechism. So Eliana, my four-year-old, she's got, I don't know, this isn't bragging, by the way, this is all April. If my kids seem lovely, it's April. But she catechizes them, right? And so you can ask, ask Ellie, if you see her, Ellie, how many gods are there? One. How many persons? Three. Who are they? Father, son, spirit. That's Ellie, four years old. Ellie, why are you here? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. How can you glorify God? By loving him and doing what he commands. Who is God? God is this. How do we know these things? The Bible. The, you see, it's not the Bible. I have to just be clear on that. But it's systematically pulling together truths of the Bible and giving children, and I'd argue adults, a biblical worldview. How do we view the world around us? All these things, too, like whether you, think about this. Let's take the first catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay? Oh, well, I, I like the Bible, thanks. Okay, fine. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, right? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's just, it's explaining that. Do you understand? That's all, that's all it's doing. So catechisms are all fantastic. And I'd encourage you, all of you, this is actually could be a really good opportunity, you grandparents, because I know many of you are like, you know, you raised kids 200 years ago or whatever. No, I'm just kidding. No, but you raised kids. Don't be offended by that. Just relax. Just relax. I love you. You know, I'm your, all that. But it might be a great opportunity for you to actually do this with your grandkids. Talk with your kids about it, but you can start walking them through some of these catechisms and they can be asking questions. My son was asking a question about the 32nd catechism the other day. Dad, why is that? Why is that? Or like we're driving in the car, I'm taking him to swim lessons, right? That, you see what, it, it, it promoted that. So let me, let me show you, um, I, wanna, I wanna show you a quick clip here. If you're like, I don't know about all this stuff. Okay, well here's a, we say we're contemporary. So here's a contemporary one. It's called the New City Catechism, okay? This gives you Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York City. This gives you a visual of what he does with his church and as well it's available to anyone that wants to grab the, what's called the New City Catechism. So have a look, and then we'll, we'll wrap things up.
It's common to say that today we live in a post-truth world. That's not really possible to even say it's a post-truth world is to say something is true about it. And yet it means that people are confused about what the truth is. It has never been more important than it is today that the church ground its people in the truth once delivered to the saints in the Word of God. What's great about a catechism is it's personally interactive. Somebody asks a question, somebody gives an answer. It's almost natural then to talk about it. Catechisms, therefore, are great for a whole congregation to have a common set of questions that have been directed to the scripture. The catechism we produced is a shorter version of the truths of God's word based on the older and longer catechisms. It's also in somewhat more modern and simplified language. We think that means you can do one of these questions and answers every week for a year. The catechism is flexible enough so that you can give it to children in a more simplified version and it's a perfect way for parents to train their children up in the truth of God's word. My hope and prayer for the New City Catechism would be that uh, people come to love doctrine. The Catechism, I pray, gives you an understanding of the theology of the Word of God. If you've mastered this truth, when you get out into the world, you'll find the truth will equip you, in a sense, to take life as it comes. You'll have certain roots, certain anchors, you might say, in God's truth, and you'll, you'll know what to do when things come at you. You'll actually be able to adapt. People are looking for hope today, but there is no hope without truth, and this is the truth. People are looking for hope today, are they not? And we have the truth. Now, so that you can put your mind at ease, let me say this disclaimer. Um, I think I might have had that. These councils, creeds, and confessions can be extremely helpful, providing clear boundaries to orthodoxy, providing precision in theology and tools. However, we are not bound to them. They are just helpful tools. Does that help? Because you're like, he's trying to get us all on these things. It, I hope, hope you're understanding just that the Bible is above these things. Okay? But these are helpful tools. So fair enough if you say, well, I have the Bible. Okay. How are you articulating these things? That's where catechisms, that's where creeds, that's where councils, that's where these things can help. And you can actually then say, I stand behind those things. Yeah, I, I believe that to be true. You see? Very, very helpful stuff. Let me close by having us look at a passage in 1 Corinthians. It was the passage that Reynard read for us. And what's interesting about this in 1 Corinthians is what he does is he uses this word gospel and then he doesn't just let us freely interpret that. He gives like bones to it. He gives definition to it. Let me show you what I mean. He says, now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you uh, stand and by which you are being saved. That's a big thing. Are you saved? Okay, well, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. For I delivered to you, and here we go, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Do you notice there that he gives definitions to these things now? 
He says, you know, look, you're going to be saved or not. Pretty big deal, right? That, well, you know you are if you're holding true to that message, Aoengelion in Greek, gospel, good news. And it's whatever you want to make the good news about. <laughs> no. Christ died. Christos, the Messiah, died. The anointed one died for our sins, was buried, was raised to life, you see. That, that, that's, that's the importance of these things. I hope that we th as we think about a speaking church, this has really been my prayer, is that we can say, okay, wow, this, these things are actually life or death important. Remember what, you know what Paul says in Galatians? If even if we or an angel, for, an angel from heaven should preach to you another gospel, let him be damned. It's a pretty big deal. Let him be anathema. Let him be cursed. So here's where I hope. This is what I hope we go from here. Think about these things. Talk, amongst, talk, talk about them amongst yourselves. Let's think about why these are important. Let's continue this conversation. Because I don't want you to kind of be like, oh my gosh, like, I'm overwhelmed, or I don't want to do this, or like, let's process these things. So I, I hope what I've done with, with these vegetables is, even if you didn't really like it today, is just said, this is why, this is why this is crucial. This is why this is absolutely essential to define who we are as a church. Who are we? Well, we're the gathered people of God, the family of God. Yes, and they say that too. So then what distinguishes us is true. It's this stuff. Make sense? Yeah. Happy to chat with you guys afterwards about these things. And, and continue, by the way. If, if you want to chat with me during the week, happy to do all those things as well. So, but for those of us that are in Christ, that are c c 